I am not going to be long, but I want to take the next step in our study of the battle for the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 12 with me. A verse we've looked at before, but I want to remind you of where we're headed and why it's so exciting to consider the Word of God. This is the battle for the Bible. We're defending the King James Version as the Holy Scriptures give internal evidence that it is the Bible. And I want to give you what that internal evidence is. And we have been exposing those modern English versions. I haven't handed them out this morning because we're just going to deal with a few passages and some of the evidence. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. This is a description of the war that exists between the devil and the church of Jesus Christ. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We are the remnant of her seed. We are the remnant church in the year 2005, and the devil is at war with us. We have the commandments of God, and we have the testimony of Jesus Christ right here in our King James Bible. And there are severe efforts being made to take those away from us and to cast doubt upon the words that we have. And it's a war from Satan because we know it is one of his devices because it's the device he used in the beginning when he seduced Eve. He first questioned God's Word. He moved her to add to God's Word. He altered God's Word. And then he gave a false application and reason for why God had said what he said, totally corrupting the doctrine of Scripture and the truth that God had told our first parents. The first thing we want to know, remember, and this is important for all of you, if you ever engage in a discussion with anybody about the Bible version issue, and that is when they say, well, what do you believe is the Bible? We believe the King James Version is Holy Scripture in the English language in the same way that Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that he was to preach that word in the same way that the Bereans search the Scriptures. Any other question that they want to ask, let them fumble with their questions. We believe that we can treat this book as inspired Scripture. We are not saying that the Church of England translators were inspired. We're saying God preserved His words and that we can treat it in the way that they treated the copies and translations that they had. If you go beyond that, you're going to get yourself into questions you won't want to answer. Just stick with the fact that I believe that the Bible is Scripture. And I believe it's the King James Bible is Scripture. And I believe I can use it the same way that Jesus and the apostles used the copies and translations they had. The next thing we want to remember is we believe the King James Bible and we oppose all the other modern versions by faith. Turn to Romans chapter 4. You will never read Romans 4, 17 through 21 too many times. Romans 4. I want you to remember three words. Can you remember those three words in this passage? The first one is he. He considered not. It's part of verse 19. Let's read verses 19 and 20. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, 
but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham is set forth as the greatest example of faith in the Bible because when God told him something, he believed that God was able to do that even if it meant reviving him reproductively when he was dead and reviving his dead wife when she was dead reproductively. That he was going to have a son by her. And the point that we want to get is he considered not all the objections that his mind could have raised and that others would have raised that the two of them would ever have a baby. He considered not. He didn't stagger in unbelief by worrying about all the questions, objections, and problems. And that is how we are supposed to believe. If God has said something, we should believe it and accept it and not stagger at it. We should be fully persuaded that God is able to keep His Word. We should not consider all the objections that our wicked flesh, the devil, and the unbelieving world wants to throw at us. This is faith, and this is how you can live a victorious life by faith. Don't consider the objections. You know, when they come to me and say, well, if the King James Bible is the Word of God... Where was the Bible in 1610? That is the same thing as walking up to Abraham and saying, how's her womb going to be able to handle another child? It'll rupture. It's old. It's dried up. That does None of those questions have anything to do with the matter. If God said it, we should be fully persuaded of it. And we should reject their questions. We don't need to answer that question to prove where the Word of God has been since 1611. We're going to trust God to have known where it was before 1611, and we're going to trust His saints to have known where it was. That's not our concern. We're not told to ask where it was in 1610. We're told to believe the promises about what He would do with His Word. Which brings us to 1 Peter 1.25. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25. I am not, I am not presenting a Bible version to you this morning, as many pastors have, because some publishing company asked me to write a two sentence forward for it, and I got my name in the front cover of it as one of the contributing editors. Now that's happened many, many times. I'm telling you about the Word of God that you hold in your hands as Scripture, and you can rely on its every single word because the Bible tells me to do that. I don't care what any publishing house says at any time or what all of them say together. I know that the book you hold in your hands has outsold all of them combined. And it's not copyrighted, and if you want one for a buck, go to the Family Dollar Store and drop a buck. Or is is it the Dollar Tree that has them in Greenville for a buck? King James Bible. We're thankful for it. The point I'm making right now is God promised to preserve His Word. Look at 1 Peter 1.25. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Now does that sound like a word that's going to get lost and then it's going to need unbelieving skeptics to find it again and give it to us 2,000 years later? And then when they give it to us, it's got contradictions in it. It looks terrible. Sounds terrible. And the fruits of it are pitiful. That's impossible. The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. In case you're misunderstanding what word is under consideration, this is the word that is preached to you. When Paul said preach the word, he meant preach the scriptures. He had just said that in 2 Timothy 3, and here are the scriptures. That's what we believe. 
We believe by faith that God promised to preserve His Word, and we believe that preserved Word is the King James Bible for the following reasons, and there's about 50 of them. And I'm going to take today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, and I will end no matter where I am, and if you want more, you're going to go to the outline. But today, you're only going to get one more, so the next two Sundays are going to be like a machine gun. Right through those points. We're just going to look at one, because that's all the time we have for. And I, unless the clock slows down. Fruit. The third thing we want is fruit. First of all, we have faith. This is a divine book, and therefore we believe that God is going to providentially preserve it for us. The second thing is, did God make promise that He would keep His words? We found those promises last Lord's Day, and I just gave you one of them. The third thing we want to look at is the evidence of fruit. And you can go far and wide and read books in the Bible version controversy, and do you want to know one subject they never consider? Ever? Fruit. That's too spiritual of a concept. That's, that concept requires faith. It doesn't require scholarship. That concept puts them out of business. That concept is too hard of a measure for men to want to expose themselves to. Fruit is what the Lord told us to measure things by, though. God's Word will bear fruit. God's Word will change men's lives. God's Word will change families' lives. God's Word will change churches. It will change nations. And it will change them in a way from coming from worldliness to godliness. It will take them and change them from unbelievers to being full of faith. It will take them from impure living to holy living. Now, there are Bibles out there today that will take holy living people and make them carnal Christians because it breaks down the Word of God. And that's what's been happening for 50 to 100 years as these new versions have come into churches where the authority of the Word of God has been broken down and it now reads like a little dime store novel and the Word of God no longer has its force as a fire and a hammer. It doesn't break anything in pieces. We can break it in pieces, which we've done the last four Sundays as I've shown you how to take apart those false versions. We want to look at fruit. The Gospel, which is the preaching of this Word, changes lives and it bears fruit wherever it goes. This Bible is the reason for the wealth of nations. Adam Smith wrote 200 years ago a book that is still considered to be a very important book. A strict inquiry into the causes and nature of the wealth of nations. What makes one nation wealthier than others? What makes one nation better than others? Right here. It is not racial, it is not educational, it is not social, it is not financial, it is scriptural. Amen. Where the Word of God goes, men are blessed. It's always been that way. You, we read that several times now today from Psalm 147, haven't we? He did not show them to any other nation but Israel. And when you look in the Old Testament for 2,000 years, there was no nation like Israel. It was the desire of the earth. It had the wisdom of God in it. It had righteous laws. It had honor. It had wealth. It had strength. It had power. The wealth of nations is where the Word of God is preached and believed. We're going to look at examples of that. There There are many verses. Now, this principle or rule, though it's taught throughout the Bible, men hate it. It takes away their jobs. 
It takes away their evidence. You know, their evidence for having the truth is, I got one more doctorate degree than you've got. I've got three and you've only got two. I wasted 20 years in school and you only wasted 13. But see, when it comes to fruit, then it is totally in God's hands. When I use the words, God has put His divine stamp of approval upon the King James Version, I mean we have 400 years of God-fearing, holy living families, churches, and nations backing up the King James Bible. They can't even last a few years and they're reprinting another one. Listen to the names. By the way, what is a standard? Is a standard something that changes every day or can it never change? If it's a standard, it shouldn't change. It's a standard. Is, is a foot 12 inches today in English measurement? Is a, was a foot 12 inches 100 years ago? Was it 12 inches 100 years before that? So it was, it was the standard. The first version was 1881, the revised version. When Americans got a hold of it, they said, well, we're going to make ours look a little better. 1901, as soon as the copyright wore off, we're going to call it the American Standard Version. The American Standard. You people came up with the revised version over there across the ocean. You know, you've still got a king and queen. We've got a president. We're better than you are. We're going to call ours the American Standard Version in 1901. In 1952, the revised Standard Version. Now they're changing the standard. Then in 1970, the new American Standard Version. Then in 1989, the new Revised Standard Version. Just changing changing standard whenever they feel like it. Calling it the Revised Standard, calling it the New Standard, and then because they're running out of words, the new Revised Standard. God's Word doesn't change. Didn't we read that last Sunday? Thy Word, O Lord, is settled forever. The Word of the Lord endureth forever. It's not changing and getting revised all the time. It's here. We've got that. You know, you have to go to a used bookstore to even find a revised standard version anymore. You can't find an American standard version. Those standards have disappeared. Look what you've got. 400 years. I hope I live long enough for another six. I'm looking forward to 2011. There's nothing special about it any more than your birthday. But it'll be 400 years that God's granted to a book that they're all making fun of, that they're trying to get rid of, that they're coming out with new models every year to replace, and they can't do it. They can't do it. We've still got it. And I want you to trust it and believe it. We're talking about right now the argument of fruit. I've got over 40 references, so I'm just going to give you a few of them. Fruit. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. That this is a principle of God's Word. I'm not blowing smoke at you and I don't have them all. I've got 40, though, that show that fruit is a principle of God's Word on how you measure whether something is true or not. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets. I've preached this whole passage to you. Would there be false prophets? Have there been false prophets? Have they preached a false message? Have they written down false words? Does the devil corrupt Scripture? Were there Scripture corruptors in Paul's day? Yes, 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 and yes to all those questions. So Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
Now, if you've got a wolf coming to you in sheep's clothing and you're a sheep, you're not going to recognize him. He's going to look like a sheep. He's going to get right in among you. A false prophet doesn't come and say, I'm a false prophet. Everything I preach, or much of what I preach is a lie. I'm attempting to overthrow your faith in God and turn you into a carnal Christian and ruin you because I serve the devil. A false prophet doesn't come and say that. The Bible says a false prophet presents himself as a minister of righteousness, as an angel of light. And he presents another Jesus. He doesn't present Muhammad. He presents another Jesus. He doesn't present Joseph Smith or Moroni. He presents another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. So when you have something that deceptive, you have a counterfeit, Jesus Christ tells us how to discern. Look for their fruits. What is the effect of their ministry? And that's how you judge. Verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. There are six verses that tell us that the evidence of a false prophet is not his appearance, it's not the sound of his words, it's not his popularity, it's not his approval or recognition by the Pope or the Presidents of the United States, such as Billy Graham, it's by the fruit of their ministries. And you wait until you see the fruit. Many times you cannot tell a tree by its bark. You have to wait until it bears fruit to tell what kind it is. And you can tell that by watching the ministries of men. Do their ministries promote the Lord Jesus Christ, holy living, trembling before the Word of God, rejection of the world, or do they promote compromise with the world, friendship with the Pope, and a carnal brand of Christianity? Fruit is the evidence, the first evidence we look at, to lay hold of by faith. God told me to believe His promise. He's promised He would preserve His Word. And He said fruit is the way to find it. And that's one of the 40 references. But that tells you right there that when it comes to false prophets, the measure is fruit. Someone might say, well, that's false prophets. What about false Bibles? Well, what is the Bible? It's the word of prophecy. If you want to find out how a prophet is working or the word of prophecy, it's in the Bible. The same rule is going to apply. Everything is known by its fruit. That's how you measure something. What effect does it have? That's how you can tell where to go and look for figs. That's where you, where you, how you tell where you can go and look for grapes. Because you look for other grapes. That's where you gather grapes. You don't go into an orchard looking for grapes. You go into an orchard looking for apples. The devil's not going to come up with the Koran to deceive Christians. The devil used the Koran to keep dark nations in their darkness. They never had light, and they still don't have any because of Islam. But the real threat to Christianity is what 2 Timothy 3 tells us, and it's a false brand of Christianity. It's not another religion. It's a false brand of Christianity with a false preaching of the Word of God and a turning from the truth unto fables and entertainment. They will no longer endure sound doctrine. Oh, that King James Bible is just too hard to read. It's just too doctrinal. It's too straightforward. It's too hard. It's too harsh. My teenagers don't like it. Well, there's a reason your teenagers don't like it. 
They want to live carnally and they don't want to submit to the Word of God. This is a wonderful book. It's still the greatest piece of English literature that's ever been written, even by pagans. But its sentences are so short, its phrases so concise, and its statements so bold. There's never been a book written like this. Even, even the world knows that. But we know it because the Lord told us to look for fruit. And we've seen that fruit. Look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Look at what the Lord tells us about this issue of fruit in James chapter 3. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? That's a rhetorical question. You should know the answer. No. Either a vine figs. Can a vine bear figs? Or do figs come from a tree, not a vine? No, a vine cannot bear figs. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. There can't be a fountain that's spewing out both fresh water and salt water. If you taste a fountain and it's salt water, guess what kind of a fountain it is? It's not a blend. I want to read this verse to you. It just came to me that I ought to read this verse to you in another version just to let you hear what it sounds like and what they've done with the Word of God. And I've shown you many places and I've only shown you the tip of the iceberg. James 3.12. I like this one. The last part of the verse I want you to focus on. Here's what the Word of God said. James 3.12 so, no, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Telling you that if you detect salt water in a fountain, you know you don't have a fresh water fountain. Get away from it. No more can salt water yield fresh. You know, it no longer is talking about a fountain and its fruit. It's, it's talking about the two waters. No more can salt water yield fresh. Changing the, changing the verse and diluting the power of the Word of God. If you're looking for a fountain and you taste salt in the water, there's not fresh water there. It's salt water. This is the effect of fruit. That is what the Word of God is teaching. And so when we have a Bible, we should be able to go through it and only find fresh water. Only truth, only righteousness, only pure words. Not corrupt words. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is an important verse to remember. I would consider it the second most important about fruit. 1 Matthew 7, 15-20, then 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And that last part of the verse is what I want. The word of God, remember? 1 Peter 1.25 said, And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Paul said, Preach the word. Well, this is the word that was preached to these Thessalonian saints. And it says, It effectually worketh in you that believe. How did it effectually work? Chapter 1, and some of you read that chapter last night. They turned from serving idols to the living and true God. They turned from waiting for what this world could give them for the appearing of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It changed their lives. It changed lives. It turned wicked, carnal pagans into godly, trembling, obedient, faithful saints whose testimony was spread over the known world. Chapter 1 described that. Look at Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 1 to see another expression similar to that. The Word of God effectually works. When you find Bibles that aren't working, and because they're not working, they park them and they stop publishing them. They're not working. There shouldn't be a question in your mind. I'm only covering one of the identifying criteria of the Word of God. Those Bibles have been laid aside because they bore no fruit. They wanted to try another one. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Speaking of the truth of the Gospel, which is the the final words of verse 5. The truth of the Gospel is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. The Word of God changes men's lives. It changes them for the better. It changes them from being proud to being humble. It changes them from being ignorant to being wise. It changes them from being carnally minded to being holy. It changes them from having a a loose form of religion to a sober, reverent form of worshiping God. Everything that you can think about that the Bible teaches, where it goes, it's going to change men toward that lofty goal. The other Bibles that we're comparing this to in the last 100 years have not done that. They are all associated with an implosion and a downgrading of Christianity. It's removing men from being sober. It's turning them into carnal, loose, frivolous type of Christians instead of what the Bible expects. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It says in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. Growth takes place by the Word of God. You have got to feed yourself on the Word of God. And if it's just the Word of men, you're going to have a generation of Christians that are very weak and are not very sure of what they believe. They're going to be operating by feelings instead of by the statements of God's Word. They're going to be pitiful in comparison to the generations before us who had strong faith, great fear of God, and lived holy lives. And if you don't know there's been a difference in the last 50 years in our country, I can't help you. You are really in bad shape. There's been a terrible change, and part of that, and a great cause of it, is because of the breakdown of the Word of God. It's no longer being taught. They don't even want to hear the Word of God. They want to hear little pep talks about having a purpose-driven life. They want to read a novel about the Word of God instead of reading the Word of God. But when you read the, world, the, the real Word of God, men grow. Men are strong. They're dogmatic. They take positions like Elihu, Elijah, John the Baptist, and Paul. They're not wishy-washy because they've got in their hands and in their heart a fire and a hammer and it breaks the rock in pieces and they're not afraid of anyone. Men today are not like that. You need to go out and meet a few of them. They don't know what they believe. And they'll tell you it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're all going to the same place. We're all going to the same place and we all love Jesus. But see, they're talking about a different Jesus. But they don't even know there's a verse in the Bible that says there's another Jesus. They're shocked when they find that verse. The Word of God changes men's lives. It works effectually and it brings forth fruit. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Do you know why America is great? Why it used to be greater? Why was America so great? Was it because of its people? We had all lived in other... I mean, our ancestors had all lived in other countries of the world. Those countries weren't great. 
Why, when those people, usually with no money, got on a ship and came across the ocean and landed here, usually destitute, how could those destitute people, descendants of people who had never made it, how could they all of a sudden turn a nation into the United States of America? How did it happen? It's right here. It is the preaching of this Word. God has promised to bless His Word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 5. Moses said, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Israel, the smallest of all nations, was segregated and pulled out by God and separated from all other peoples and given the Old Testament. When that Old Testament was taught and practiced, that nation had laws and statutes and precepts and judgments other nations had never heard of. It was the delight of the world. It was the apple of God's eye. And notice, the passage tells us what made them great. Not that the Jews were harder working people than others. Not that Israel had more natural resources than others. Our nation has natural resources, but so do other sections of the world. What made our nation great? It's the same thing that made Israel great. They had the words of God. And wherever the words of God are, blessings follow, brethren. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. When a nation makes God its Lord, and how does it make God its Lord? Because it has God's words that tell it to make that God its Lord. And that nation is great. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Oh, brethren, you don't need Adam Smith. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need a strict inquiry into the causes and nature of the wealth of nations. You need the King James Bible. It'll tell you why nations are great. Let me tell you where this Bible came from that you hold in your hands. And you may not be English, but you still thank God for it. You're all sitting in here and you speak English and you've got an English Bible. That Bible came out of England at the order of the king. That king, when he was 18 years of age, wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. That is King James the one of England, King James the sixth of Scotland. That man, he was, this, when this Bible was dedicated to him, and you can read in the epistle dedicatory that's in the front of your King James Bibles, those translators blessed him for dealing a death blow to the Pope of Rome. They understood where that king stood about their enemy that was in the city of Rome. They spoke about it. That king ordered a Bible in 1611, 400 years ago. Let me tell you a little bit about an island nation that is very small and isn't blessed with a whole lot of natural resources. But I'll tell you what, we all know a saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire. That was a saying around the world because that little island nation colonized the rest of the world. They sent a police department over and took the whole land of India. And India became one of their colonies. And do you know what was in that colony? The English language and the King James Bible. 
throughout the whole earth. Why did everybody want to be an immigrant to the United States of America? Why do we have Lady Liberty standing in a harbor welcoming all the huddled masses of the world? Why did they all want to come to this nation? What port in Mexico were they all trying to get into? They're all trying to get out. And now listen, I'm not making fun of Mexican people, not one bit. Do you know what I'm making fun of? They have chosen as a religion to worship the Pope and Mary and the tradition of the Catholic Church instead of the Word of God. That's the difference in our boundary. It's not the difference in race or the people. It's not the difference in the work ethic. A work ethic might change when people don't have the Word of God, but the difference is the words of God itself. We are blessed. Why is America great? Because of our Constitution? Because the pilgrims called their ship the Mayflower? Because they ate turkey in November? Are you kidding? Come on, give me something better. Why is America great? Because they've got Major League Baseball? Because they bake apple pie? Because they have Chevrolets? What makes America great? It's the Word of God. Why is America not as great as it used to be? Because they're leaving the Word of God. We are a nation that is almost bankrupt. A young man is an auditor of the federal government and wants to come and join this church. And he wrote me, wondering if I knew that our nation was bankrupt. (laughs) We've known that for some time, brother. Just come on and join us anyway. The Lord's going to take care of us. He'll provide. But see, it's because we've left the Word of God. No one gets excited anymore about sound doctrine. They don't like the King James Bible. Give me the Reader's Digest condensed version. Give me the 100-minute Bible. Have you seen that one recently? Now, that's a new one. It's a 100-minute Bible. You can read the whole thing in 100 minutes. Oh, they're com- listen, every few months, you would not believe what the NIV... they got an NIV Teenager's Bible, NIV Baby's Bible, NIV Little Kid's Bible, NIV Little Girl's Bible, NIV Little Boy's Bible. Today's NIV, which is a, neutral, uh, a gender-neutral Bible, they go on and on and on. We've got this word. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Oh, Proverbs chapter 8 is a personification of Lady Wisdom. A personification of wisdom as Lady Wisdom. A personification means you take some concept like wisdom and describe it as a person. We do that in our nation by Lady Liberty, Father Time, Uncle Sam, Mother Nature, and so forth. This is Lady Wisdom. Where she goes, look what follows. 8.12 I, Wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Was this country blessed with witty inventions over the last several hundred years as the King James Bible was preached? Yes. We were the wonder of the world. Our farmers did not, were not content to drag a stick in the ground behind an ox. They thought. God put in their minds to think and to be creative because it is a blessing of wisdom that follows to say, I think we can harness steam. I think we can have a steam-driven tractor. I think a good steam-driven tractor might pull three plows and I won't have to feed it every night. I just need to find some water. And brethren, it changed the world. Because God's Word was here. Do you know what? Listen, you pick, you pick your nation of origin. It doesn't matter. You were all dragging a stick behind an ox. All of us were. You know, we were painting ourselves and arranging stones in fields in England trying to pretend that we were in touch with some spirit. You know, Druids was our denomination. 
It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with God's Word because we believe these things by faith. Where God is being honored by His words being read, believed, and preached, God is there. He blesses them. He blesses those people. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. That's Psalm 33, 12. Try Psalm 144, verse 15. Try Malachi 3, 12. I'm out of time. But look at this verse. Look at, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine. This nation was known for its counsel and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. I want to go to America because America is free. I want to go to America because America has a great court system. I want to go to America because its laws are just. That's why men wanted to come to America. Because of Proverbs 8. Because wisdom was here in the form of God's words. And I've just begun. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures." People would give up everything they had in their home country, their family. Many times they left their wife and children behind to get to America because this was the land of dreams. This was the land of opportunity. And why was it so? Because the people here preached this book in a degree, to a degree and in a proportion unlike any other nation on earth. There were churches scattered far and wide that held the preaching of God's words. The difference between England and Italy. Italy had been the home of the Roman Empire. What happened? What happened to the Roman Empire? God pounded that empire into the chaff of the the threshing floor. Ever read Daniel chapter 2? And look what he did where God's word went and the king said, Give us the best translation in the English language. What a difference. The Catholics were all still doing this. You know, whatever. You know, maybe they got up. You know what I meant. I haven't watched Roberto Clemente recently, but he always did this before he came to the plate. Oh, some of you are too young to even know who I'm talking about. Plate means baseball, by the way. That's the difference in God's Word. Exceptional men in the Bible. Where'd they come from? They were trained in the Word of God. You give me a young man that wants to devour the Word of God, no one will ever touch him. He will be so great in comparison to others because he feeds himself on the Word of God. All those young boys sitting around, some of which aren't listening to me very well, if they would pay attention to all the Word of God and learn the Word of God and memorize the Word of God, it would make them great. Elihu was able to stand up in the presence of four of the wisest men on this planet. Job, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, and he was able to shut them up and put them down because they didn't know what they were talking about because he said, the Almighty giveth inspiration to men and gives them understanding, and it comes from God's Word. If you want to find out what made Daniel great, go read the book of Daniel and find out how he found out that there were 70 years determined upon Israel. Did somebody tell him that? He found it in the book of Jeremiah. 
He was reading the Bible, and it made, it made Daniel great. Look at that list of characteristics. If you were to look at world history, what nation in the last 2,000 years, or what nations in the last 2,000 years have had the greatest combination of those things right there? This is not something that's close. Someone can say to me, this evidence that you're giving of the King James Bible is kind of subjective. So, a lot of the Word of God is subjective. You know, when the Bible says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, what's a spiritual man? Is that kind of subjective? When the Bible says you ought to fear an odious woman, is that kind of subjective? Or is she born with a label on her forehead, odious? Or are you supposed to sniff her out? It is subjective. Of course it's subjective. But it's easy to figure out in the history of the world, you didn't... What was this nation 300 years ago? Wah, 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 wah. You know, we were dancing around a... They were dancing around a fire, eating buffalo, and worshiping the Great Spirit. And I'm not making fun of them. God withheld light from them. That's why we read Psalm 147. It said, no other nation has ever had the blessing of God's words. All the Canaanite nations were doing that. The Canaanite nations couldn't figure out that sex was reserved for the human race, not beasts. Have you read Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus 20? They were all messed up. And God said, if you Israelites don't go in there and kill them all, the land is going to vomit them out. They are so filthy and depraved and dark and blind. What was this nation 300 years ago? It was, an, it was a wilderness inhabited by savages that in 5,000 years of existence had not ever visualized a wheel. Talk about witty inventions. They had never envisioned a wheel. Something that rolls. It helps when you're pulling something. And I am not making fun of them. Brethren, if it weren't for the grace of God, do you know what I'd be doing right now? I'd be dropped down on my knees kissing kissing some statue someplace, wearing the toes off. I'd have a lie in my right hand and would not be able to deliver myself. Isaiah 44 and verse 20. That is what our nation was 300 years ago. All the other nations in the earth had about a 3,000 year head start on us. What happened to America? Men came in here and preached the Word of God. And they believed the Word of God. And they set up churches to preach and practice the Word of God. And they enacted laws called the Bill of Rights to protect the preaching of God's Word so that it could be done without fear of reprisal from the government. And the nation blossomed. Was everyone in the nation saved? Not a chance. Not even close. But was there a godly remnant here? Did God make a place for the remnant to hide? Yes. And to get away from the persecution of Europe? Yes. What did Europe do for 1,000 years? It's called the Dark Ages. America was the light of the world. What do you think that torch stands for? They came to America because they won the freedom, the light, the honor, the riches, the witty inventions, the prudence, the counsel, and all that's right here in the Word of God. We are blessed. Why were you born in this country? Why are you about to become a citizen of this country? Because it's a great place to live. Because God blessed this nation. This is part of the evidence of fruit. This is the national evidence. See, Proverbs chapter 8 is talking about national evidence because it says, By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. It's talking about national evidence. I've shown you spiritual evidence. And we live in a day now where there's a downgrade and an implosion of Christianity because they have departed from the Word of God. They do not preach the Word. 
They have turned their ears away from hearing the truth to fables. More could be said. More will be said. Will you be thankful with Psalm 147 and verses 19 and 20? They have not known thy statutes and thy judgments. You did not treat any other nation this way. Now, in recent history, we do have Canada, we do have Australia, we do have England. And if you go look at those nations compared to the nations around them, the light that burst forth on various continents and in various parts of the world where they had the Word of God and they preached it and they allowed it to be preached and they gave liberty to it. But you show me a nation where this was persecuted, where the preaching of God's Word was persecuted and taken away from the people, where the people were not allowed to have the words of God in the vulgar tongue, that nation remained in poverty and darkness in comparison. It's as sure as black and white. It's as sure as yes and no. It's as sure as God's blessing and God's curse. It's sure. That's just one part of fruit, though. We are so blessed. And this Thursday, we will all sit down in the freedom of our homes, large homes, comfortable homes, homes stocked full of witty inventions. And who do we give the glory to? Our government, the Lord, the Lord gave us all those things because we followed wisdom in this country and our fathers came here to establish a nation where they could worship God in spirit and in truth and get away from the persecution of Europe. We are blessed. We are very blessed. Don't complain about our country. Thank God for it. He'll take care of us. Let's pray for our rulers. Let's pray for the, you know, our nation is turning into Babylon. But do you know what the Bible says? Pray for the peace of Babylon, and in her peace you'll have peace.